Ooh-la-la. Hey, baby. Welcome to Art Crush International. In Art Crush, we take you into the artist studios around the world because often when you think you're horny, you're actually sad. Wait, what? It's a thing. It's been studied by psychologists and I tweeted it this week. What does that have to do with Art Crush? <laughs> My mom always said to say only that which is true necessary and kind and uh, I do believe that statement satisfies all three requirements uh, true mm-hmm. necessary yes kind absolute Ugh. I'm Svefikander I live in the Arctic and I own a fur hat that makes me look four inches taller and I'm Josephine Berlins an artist and mother living in Belgium <laughs> Josephine darling who do we have a crush on today well, today we were going to have a crush on Alison O.K. Frost, the Oakland-based artist who paints from photos of phantom candles. Got it. Crush commenced. But, but... But? I thought that maybe since we did a Swede last week, we should do a Swede again this week. Another Swede? Yes. But she's a bit older and she lives in Oakland. She's the founder of the Art of Equal Pay Initiative. And that initiative encourages women and non-binary artists across the U.S. to raise their prices by 15% in order to decrease the gender and racial wage gaps in art. It's really cool. Okay, yeah. Go on, I'm, I'm listening. And get this, she also does adornment. Conceptual art, light up political purses and stuff. Light up political purses? Yes. Amazing. Okay, yes. so, so you're thinking like we compare and contrast Sweden, America, jewelry, purses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the idea. Okay. And the artist's name of today is Michelle Pred. P-R-E-D. Okay, I like her, but I, I still have a crush on Alison. That's okay, right? Yes, of course. Alison will wait for you. You can visit her <laughs> next week. Thanks, Mom. Okay, for now, time to get on the Bay Area Rapid Transit and visit Michelle Pred. For all of you at home, check out the show notes for links to her Insta. <laughs> Hi, my name is Michelle Pred, and I'm Swedish-American artist, activist, mom, and educator. I take the BART to Fruitvale and walk 10 minutes east. The building is like big, um, warehouse, it's gray, painted gray. It says Faultline Art Space on the side. The building next to it has this huge American flag. Really blowing it in the wind. I check my Instagram messages for my top secret mission instructions. I've never been to Fault Line before. Give me a text when you arrive and I'll come down and meet you. Okay. I'm texting her. I'm saying, hi, Michelle. I'm here at the Red Gate. Jayfeen is here, but she can't talk. So I'm just making her carry all the equipment in silence. <laughs> I should let you know that Josephine exerts a pacifying influence on me and... Without her calming me down, I am less patient. <laughs> she says, go around the other side. If you know, have been here and know where it is, I'll meet you there. And I said, I haven't, but I can likely find it. I am good at finding. This is ridiculous. She should just be here. Yeah, you should be coming down to meet me. <laughs> so she says she's coming, but she has to go kissa real quick. If you know what that means, she says. 
Kisa means pee. Really, how could I be mad at a fellow Swede with her unflappable natural confidence <laughs> in her bodily functions? Suddenly, the big metal gate slides open. Okay, so there was a truck leaving, so I just went in through the back gate. Oh, it's a train! And there she is. Hey, hi. I thought you were the other red car gate. Side note, it was kind of my fault. She had given me the address to the front door of Fault Line, but I came on BART and approached it by the back door. Though... I mean, to be fair, it's not always easy to tell what's the front or the back of a warehouse, right? I don't speak much, not really. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. My, my dad is Swedish. Right. Okay. He's, he's a Swedish immigrant, so... Um, it's, it's nice to have a, the Swedish artist connection. I know. I often meet Swedes who are not artists, and it never seems to work. Right. I know. Right? I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Michelle walks me through the open concept central portion of the warehouse, where several counter height work tables are pushed together. This is awesome. I love this space. Oh, yeah. Here's the very communal. Yeah, I like it, it is. Yeah. And like everyone starts showing up in the afternoon or midday. Yeah. So yeah, usually yeah. there's more people. Actually, a former There are two bathrooms, pretty clean, yeah. a kitchen area, and about 10 studios leading off toward the windows, separated by low walls. Very few doors. We walk back into her studio space, which is one of the larger ones. It's in the back right corner. So I've been in this space for a couple years. After I had a child in 2009, I always had a space at home. And when I moved in with my now husband, we converted a two-car garage. And it just didn't have enough light for me. And I needed light. And I love light. It, it just invigorates me. Um, and then I found this space here in East Oakland. and. I love it. It's a corner space with 12-foot-high windows, lots of windows. Um, one side facing the Oakland Hills, one side facing some trees, but also looking on to the 880, and you can hear the traffic. It's right next to the train tracks, and so you, you feel life. You hear the sirens, and then you could also look up in the hills and see the blue sky. So I love, love, love the space. Um, I, I actually often work from the couch. It's just something, it just feels so relaxing. Uh, obviously, some things and many things I have to work at a table. I have several work tables in here. But some of the work I can do from my couch, and it's so, it just makes me happy. <laughs> a red couch in the middle of this you know, white space with huge white walls. And where is it from? Ikea. <laughs> Swedish. I have one long wall where I sort of rotate art pieces around and have a lot of my Power of the Purse series up here. I have some of my feminist riot shields. And I rotate for inspiration and to see how things look together. And again, it's an environment that makes me feel really inspired to have the work up, kind of rotate it. It's kind of like a gallery wall. Um, and... Um, I just imagine this being so legitimizing, so motivating. I th yeah, yeah, yeah. Up here, almost right above your head, is it's called um, Travelers. It is an umbrella that's hanging about 11 feet up in the air with scissors raining down underneath it from the confiscated series, airport confiscated series. 
I love the sort of reference to surrealism, all that an umbrella can imply. And so I've used umbrellas a lot and they're very interactive. People really want to touch them and stand underneath them. And it's powerful to have this raining down of the scissors. I also have one with bullets that's not up right now. This is a voting booth. I've made several pieces with voting booths. This one is just waiting until I can have time to get to it, but I've put neon pink <laughs> sequined fabric all over it, and I just love the combination. I'm not sure what's going to happen with it yet, but um, it is going to be for my show in New York this fall. It's really amazing. This is actually original curtain on it, a red, white, and blue oh, striped curtain. curtain. Yes. Wow. Yes. I asked Michelle to tell me about the thousands of sharp objects arranged in a five-foot donut-like circle on her studio floor. My work actually is a lot about the experience or process of the hunt, the find, the, you know, the discovery. I've been getting a lot of attention for the, the Power of the Purse series, um, and which I've, of course, been excited about, but I think a lot of people don't know about my full breadth of work at this point. Um, this piece is called Encirclement. These items were confiscated from the airport after 9-11. They're all scissors and razor blades and corkscrews and plastic guns and matches and formed into a circle that's about five feet in diameter. And I work a lot with found objects um, that are embedded with many, many layers of meaning. And that's what's exciting to me is taking an object and dissecting it, what it signifies in culture. Sharp objects were suddenly confiscated from people at airports, of course, represent many things, including what all of a sudden is uh, claimed to be a weapon in our society. There's sentimental value in these items. There's globalization, travel, where people live, where people are going. There's corkscrews from Napa Valley, and there's matches from Japan, and there's razor blades from Germany in there. And I see it as a time capsule of a time in our history that's still happening. We're still having items confiscated at the airport. I know you're wondering how she got all these things, right? Turns out Michelle was a limo driver. She spent a lot of her break time knocking on doors at the SFO airport, and eventually they just gave in and gave her all these contraband objects. She also has some magazines out on the table. There's Vanity Fair with one of her political purse artworks on the front. There's Vogue, fancy things like that. But the one that I'm interested in... Oh, wow. This, I had to sh I pulled this one out. I just pulled out quickly something. Yeah, yeah. So this is the, the IKEA staff newsletter. It's translated to like 19 languages. How? Wrote this article. I did a shop drop in 2009 mm -hmm. at IKEA in Emeryville. Shop dropping is when you place your artwork in a commercial environment, uh, often a store. And I shop dropped on Black Friday 2009 to speak about uh, excessive consumerism, American culture, yet of course Swedish culture has consumerism, excessive consumerism as well, and I'm half Swedish, so I decided to do it at IKEA, felt symbolic. I took my daughter in her stroller and used her as a decoy. Yeah, yeah. nobody's a threat when they have a kid in the stroller, right. I know this. <laughs> and packaged the pieces um, in the same size and format as their posters and walked on in with 10 of them into IKEA. And they thought they were returns when I came in with them and under my arm and they directed me to the returns and I said, I'm just gonna walk through a little bit and I'll go there. And, and then I went and placed them and documented it all it's on my website. Mm -hmm. I also had contacted press beforehand, the Oakland Tribune, which existed still at that time. So they contacted Nikia 
for a statement. Their national spokesperson denied that it happened because they didn't know, they hadn't seen it. I suppose they didn't say they were opposed to it, but I think they just made a very formal, we did not, we're not behind this project. But then they came around, and I thought this was a really nice full circle, is that they then wrote this article in their employee magazine that gets translated into, I think, 19 languages and sent to all their IKEA employees all over the world about this project and, and respectfully wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And finally, it's time to find our makeshift recording studio. We can try the bathroom. Bathrooms are often so echoey because of the, like, all the tile. <laughs> right. um, I'm like trying to be great. There's that up. Oh yeah, we should we should check out up there. Oh, that could be interesting. Like a little enclosed, cozy, lots of textiles. Well, maybe we can try it there. Maybe someone is. No, this is echoey. A little adventure. (laughs) Little did you know that's an echoey studio. Now you will always notice it. Oh, this looks good. Welcome to your lair. Yeah, no, this is perfect. Settle in a cardboard dark room. My first true activism was in the seventh grade, and this was absolutely inspired by my father. I was going to King Junior High in Berkeley, or Martin Luther King Junior High, and noticed that the boys didn't have to wear a uniform for PE, and the girls did. And I told my father about this. And obviously, that's not right. Either both girls and boys wear uniforms or neither. So he and I decided to try to change that. He wrote the letter, I have to say, but it was from us to the principal. And of course, one is not allowed to have any sexism in any educational environments. And we received a letter back responding that they would change it. I didn't realize it at the time how uh, empowering that was for me. There's things you can do and you have to learn. I mean, you have to know that you can do them. And it is, I I have to include here, you know, being white. I mean, I am coming from a privileged background in learning these things from an early age. And I acknowledge that this is something that is really important that we share with everyone, that we absolutely can. Everyone can. And I think people are learning that. People are feeling a lot more of that these days. I grew up in Berkeley, between Berkeley, California and Sweden. Grew up in a very political family. My father was a professor at UC Berkeley in cultural geography. Many discussions just around the dinner table and even throughout the day and the environments of the culture during that time. Um, That was a time actually of the Vietnam War demonstrations and also um, freedom of speech. I mean, there there was a lot happening in Berkeley during that time and there was a lot of discussions. I was made very aware of it because it was sort of part of the interaction I had, particularly with my father. And then spending time in Sweden, of course, um, with the socialist government there and the very different attitudes towards life and rights as simple as free education and free healthcare being the norm over there. So these ideas are deeply grounded in me as being how life should be, um, basic human rights, healthcare and education. And your mom was Swedish? Yes. My mom was, as they called it back in the day, a stewardess for Pan Am. And Pan Am hired a group of Swedish stewardesses that they wanted to have. 
And even though my father was the most outspoken feminist of the two of my mom and dad, my mom just sort of embodied feminism in her behavior, coming from a really poor background in Sweden and fighting really hard to get out there in the world, and um, which is how she ended up becoming a, a stewardess and wanting to see the world. She actually was too short. They had very strict requirements, weight, height. You were ideally supposed to be blonde. She was not you know, the sort of stereotypical blonde woman, but she really outperformed herself even though she wasn't the correct height and was hired. How did she do that? She was a very strong person and with a strong personality and she obviously persisted. And I, I, I get that from her. Persisting is not a bad thing. I mean, there's a time and place for it, but certainly for women's rights, equals rights, human rights, gun reform, there are a lot of issues right now that we need to be really persistent with. So persistence is really part of who I am. It's really, really in my blood to create work that can hopefully um, empower or inspire and create change in the world. You know, basic human rights is a key issue for me. Social justice is a key issue for me. They go hand in hand. And so it's work that I feel I need to do. I feel like it's my responsibility. What is important to me in life, what my role in my life is to do, is to create work that hopefully inspires change, dialogue, thought. I actually, when I started making purses again, I hadn't for a long time. This was back in 2011. I started making birth control pill purses. So they actually, and that was also about what's on the inside, what we carry, what's, and it was about reproductive rights and access to birth control. So I started collaging hundreds and thousands of birth control pills on purses. And again, that was about making a statement on the outside, something that we normally carry inside of our purse. And then I started making some neon pieces with actual neon and on vintage train cases, these round cases, often American tourister bags. Um, I loved the symbolism of them as well. And that refers to traveling too, like being on an airplane. And I grew up traveling a lot. My mom was stewardess. So it harks, yeah, back to a lot of different ideas. So I made several of these and I'm still making them. And then what happened in 2013, I was going to go to the Armory Fair in New York. And I had been making some of these actual neon purses. And I learned about electroluminescent wire. And all you need is a battery. It doesn't have to be plugged into a wall. The big neon pieces are stationary. You can't walk around with them. And I thought, I want to make one that I can wear. And it's going to be about reproductive rights. It's going to be about um, pro-choice. And literally the day before I was flying out, I made a purse that said choice on it. Let's talk about purses. What do purses mean to you? Purses, in some ways, mean a woman's body. Some of the first purses from the Power of the Purse series that I've been doing now for a few years said my, my body, my business. That's a text I came up with several years ago. And other people had used it in other formats in the bodybuilding world. and But now it's being used a lot more as sort of a feminist tagline. But they actually represent me, myself, and women. Um, they're obviously something probably most women carry in different formats. But the first purse collage I did, I've been doing these for a long, long time. I filled one with barbed wire and cut a hole out of it that was sort of like a window and put a piece of glass so you could look in to the purse and see the barbed wire. And that represented what was inside of me, a lot of pain. And so I've done 
collages with purses for years, they, to me, represent maybe a lot of hidden things, you know, what you have inside of your purse. You don't necessarily always want to share that with other people. It's very personal. And so to me, they represent, you know, what's inside of us. But also then taking these ideas and putting them on the outside. To me, the purses that I'm working on now, the Power of the Purse series, are like small scale mobile political billboards that you can walk around with. So, and spread a message and inspire or ignite conversation or laughter or anger or many different things. In Freudian symbolism, the purse is supposed to be the vagina. This is what, what he thought. Because he thought purses, you know, you put things in, you take them out, which of course is a very male way of looking at what a vagina might yeah, be. I've forgotten about that. But it's true that the purses are, are coded as, as female. Very. Very heavily coded as female. And, and in fact, that if you don't have a purse, you're kind of a, you're a rogue. You're a rogue character. Right, right, right. You're using pockets. I also just think they're beautiful themselves. I collect these vintage purses and each one is so unique and they have a story. They've all been carried by someone. They maybe been sitting in a closet a lot, but they are part of... They were part of someone's life, and they're, now they're having a second life. And that's really interesting to me as well. Um, someone recently referred to my purses as a sort of call and response, and I really liked that analogy of... Um, the purses and in fact she's someone who I've never met met through um, Instagram who lives in Sweden but she's from America and she said it's inspired her to write the work write about her own ideas of feminism but the work seeing the work um, she just mentioned this on Instagram to me and yes and that's what I want that's what I want I want to stimulate ideas and ignite conversations Welcome back from Swedish artist Michelle Pred's Vogue Worthy Studio in East Oakland, California. <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot. There you go. Sorry I muzzled you, Jafine. <gasps> that's, that's okay. Okay, good. Uh, what do we have on next? The, the beautiful online thing. <laughs> <laughs> Today's beautiful online thing is a bit of a mystery to me. It is immerseyourself.online. Hmm. Fascinating. Yes. Alice Marinelli? Yeah. That's so the woman who made that, it? I guess so. Okay, so did you go to it? Yes, and what I see, see a black screen mm -hmm. with in the middle a button start experience. Would you like to start experience? Yes, I would love to because I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay, so I just started. I got like all this text and now I just got into like a room okay. with all this text on the on the walls and stuff. Yeah. What is this text from? It says like body, soul, experience, something. There's like a name from Jacques Derrida. Oh, yeah, there's Heidegger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henri Cartier-Bresson, like the mm -hmm. photographer. Is Alice Marinelli a photographer? Because there are photos on, on the walls here. 
I find it very interesting because like you can walk around. It has like the feeling of a gallery, but then it's also like this game-like environment that you're in. I'm a, not the game type person, I have to say. So maybe this is going to be a real disappointment. <laughs> if you're like somebody who plays lots of computer games. But for me, it feels like I'm in a computer game. Okay, you, you noob. Do you see the photos? Yes, I do. Like, are, are we still in the first room? Uh, well, there's lots of rooms. Like, I've started going into different rooms, but please talk about the photos. The photos I just saw were kind of like pictures of people moving. So they're kind of like... Blurry? It's blurry, that's the word. Like um, they're quite beautiful. Like, they're quite graceful. Lots yes, of, they like, are. Um, transparent cloth, black and white. Anyway, I guess that's Alice Marinelli. All right, that's what okay. I got for you. Immerseyourself.online. Well, that, my friends, is our show for the day. You know you can read an entire transcript of this episode, well, this interview, and see some of these beautiful pictures of a beautiful woman and her art on our website, artcrushinternational.com. We would also like to thank Marsha McGee for her very kind review on Apple Podcasts. Yay! What if I, uh, what if I bought a fur hat for every review we received? What if I bought a fur hat for every <laughs> review we received? That would be weird. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> you made okay, it weird. Then. Okay. Speaking of weird, um, this week we're featured on another podcast. Yes, another one. It's called Sustaining Creativity, and it's hosted by Mary Reisberg. We'll link to it in the show notes. It was really fun to talk to her and, like, expose your weirdness. <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed doing that. Uh, I am having these shame aftershocks. But if you would like to hear me make a fool of myself, folks at home, just check out the latest episode. It's Sustaining Creativity on wherever you're listening to this your podcast platform. Love you, Marika. Uh, that's right. And who else do we love? We also love Alison O.K. Frost. Mm -hmm. She's a painter, an arts educator, who's going to take us to connect with some artists living in an encampment in Oakland. This is a lot of Oakland, though. Yeah, well, Oakland is a big place. There's almost 8 million people in the Bay Area. And only one of them is Alison Frost. Yeah, well, no. Actually, what? three of them are what? named Alison Frost. Three? <laughs> There's three? Yes, yes. Okay. Only one of them is the Alison Frost. Bye. Bye. <laughs>